morning, I suppose we'll make a start then. Uh, apparently you are in a, a series of, of looking at some character studies uh, for your ministry recently. Hmm? Yes. Which gives me an opportunity to share some thoughts with one of my favourite characters from the Old Testament. And if you've already had somebody speak about this gentleman, well then you can compare my thoughts with whoever may have said something about them. You may have heard there's a famous quote that those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat the lessons or something along those lines. Uh, that comes from scripture really. Uh, it's not a novel thought by some philosopher or whatever, but Romans 15 and 4 tells us that things that happened in the past happened for our learning. And it's interesting in the context when we look at the Old Testament and realize that uh, at least half of the Old Testament is historical narrative. It's about things that happened in the past. And whether we like history as a topic or not, you cannot avoid it in our reading of Scripture. And we have to get a handle on it. And it's there for a reason. It's for our learning. And so the history of God's dealings with his people and the characters involved in that history, there's an awful lot that we can learn from that. And that's the purpose of it, of course. That historical narrative in regard to God's dealings with his people and those other nations and people that interacted with his people comes to an end from a biblical point of view uh, in, in the book, the narrative, in the book of Nehemiah uh, with some snippets as well from some of the minor prophets. Uh, and it's the time that we have been thinking about that's been the backdrop of our considerations at YFR. The time of initially the captivity of the people away in Babylon and then the return back to the nation and the things that they experienced during those years. And then Old Testament comes to an end and 450 years or so of silence before the New Testament opens. Some of the main characters, and these are the names that have been cropping up in, at YFR. And we'll be familiar with those. I thought of the likes of Ezra and Nehemiah and the prophets Malachi and Haggai, and some of the individuals like Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest. And these are all some of the key characters involved in this stage of history, and this stage of God's dealings with his people. And it's, it's one of my favorite uh, parts of the Old Testament to consider and study. And the person I wanted to talk a, a little bit about this morning uh, is Ezra. And I think he would probably rank as, as my number one Old Testament hero. And that might be uh, a bit of a surprise for some. But Let's take a reading in Ezra chapter 7. I think it's probably true to say that Ezra, maybe it's an arguable point, but he had the biggest impact on the national and spiritual life of the people of Israel in his day. In Judaism today, Ancient and modern rabbis revere Ezra. And he's up on a pedestal, he's up on a, a podium uh, ranking with Moses as the refounder of Judaism, the refounder of uh, the people of God and all that they should stand for in his day. That's how Ezra is regarded in Judaism these days. So, Ezra chapter 7, we're well into the book of Ezra before Ezra comes onto the scene. So, we'll read these first 10 verses. Now, after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, there went up Ezra, son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalem, 
son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Mariah, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested, because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Some of the sons of Israel and some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. He came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the fifth of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now, what Ezra found when he got to Jerusalem, and this is some 67 years or so, thereabouts, after the temple had been completed, the second, uh, the rebuilt temple. And what Ezra found, as we read on through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, you kind of have to read the two in tandem and some of the minor prophets as well. What he found was that the state of the nation was appalling. The, the moral and spiritual condition of the people was, was about as, as low as it has been in, in other historical periods. And Ezra was grieved to his absolute soul. And we read later on in Ezra that he, he, he tore his clothes, he wept, and he poured out his heart in uh, repentance on behalf of the, the nation and in confession for the state that the nation were in. And, and so Ezra's job, what the Lord had called Ezra to do, was to address those issues was to address the uh, moral and spiritual decline that had set in in the people. And Ezra's ministry lasted uh, several years. And we can turn over to uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. And just this little passage here gives us an insight into the impact of Ezra's ministry amongst the Lord's people in his day. I think this particular incident is probably some... 13 or maybe 15 years after Ezra arrived in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1. All the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women and all who could listen with understanding. On the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate. From early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maseah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathiah, Hodiah, Masaiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jozebad, Hanan, 
Peliah, the Levites, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their places. They read from the book from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. When he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to, the, to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. The impact on that particular occasion, but as it seems to me as, as some kind of build-up and culmination of the time that Ezra had spent amongst the people of God from his return from Babylon to Jerusalem and the ministry that he em embarked upon as directed by the Lord, guided by the Spirit of God, and, and we see the impact. And it's, it's just astonishing, isn't it? You know, in, you look at it and, well, of course, in those days, there's, there's no microphones, there's, there's no PowerPoint, there's nothing presentationally fancy about what we've read. It's, it's Ezra. He's on a podium and he has the book of the law and he's reading God's word. He's reading the law of God and the people have stood up to attention almost. That's a lovely little thought in itself, isn't it? When they opened the book and read from the book, the people stood. And it's, it's that speaking and reading of the law and of helping the people, this, this team of, of all these Levites, helping the people. I don't know, to understand, I don't know how you envisage it, but I presume there must have been huddles of, of people all around, these different Levites, and as Ezra is reading the, the, the law and he's giving an interpretation and helping them understand it, then there's these little groups and there's maybe a huddle and there's discussion and stuff going on. And it's happening the whole day. This is taking place through the whole day. And it's, it's just tremendous. Ezra is, Ezra is a priest, but he's also called the scribe. And that means he was an expert, an expert in the law of Moses. Now, in the Lord's day, there were experts, there were scribes who were experts in the law. But their expertise, of course, had, had skewed off, away off in, in totally wrong directions. Ezra's expertise as a scribe in the law of God was exactly as it should be, and his understanding. But the thing which impresses me about this is we would call this today what Ezra did, <coughs> gathering those people together. We would call it doctrinal ministry. That's what it was. It was the law of God that he was speaking and reading. And today we would, I think, think of that as doctrinal ministry. And sometimes we think about ministry and hearing and teaching from the word of God, which is doctrinal. And sometimes it, we, we think about uh, ministry, which is devotional, because it's, it's about thoughts of the Lord and his love, etc., etc. And sometimes we may have uh, more of a, a preference for, for one, the devotional ministry and all, all of that. But did you notice the impact of this doctrinal ministry and reading of the Lord? It touched the people's hearts. It, it, it made a connection with their hearts. Because 
well, we read about the reaction of the people and, and how their realization of what this doctrine was, what the teaching of the Lord and the commands of the Lord was and their failure to put it into practice, recognizing that in their experience, brought about that kind of reaction. I wonder what it was that made Ezra particularly effective and powerful at this time, uh, used by God. Well, we can think about him being called by God, of course, and, and that's, that's an essential part of it, that he had a calling of God to do this particular thing. But what was it about Ezra himself that made him the right man for this particular task? And there's two aspects to this that appeal to me. Uh, firstly, it's to think about his pedigree. And we read there in Ezra chapter 7 all those funny names that we sometimes struggle to get our tongues around. And he traces his lineage all the way back to Aaron, the first high priest, chief priest, as, as we read. And there were a couple stand out to me as I looked through that lineage, a couple of names uh, that I thought were really quite interesting in relation to what Ezra subsequently did. One was Phinehas. He's the grandson of Aaron, the high priest. And one of the stories about Phinehas is in Numbers chapter 25. And it's a time when the people are wandering in, in the desert and they're coming across the Midianite people and they are, the scripture describes what they are doing with the Midianite people as adultery. And I, I think it, was, it involved both physical adultery and spiritual adultery. They were getting involved with the people that they were told not to get involved with. And more seriously, they were getting involved in the idolatrous practices. And God was, of course, denouncing this spiritual adultery of the people. And God sent a punishment among the people. And the story unfolds in Numbers 25 that there was one particular individual who seemed to boldly and arrogantly parade um, his association with one of these Midianite women as if to, to flaunt it in front of all the others. And Phinehas, grandson of Aaron the high priest, was so incensed by this, he took a spear and he pierced the two of them through, presumably while they were in the act. And God commended Phinehas for, he said, he exhibited my jealousy, is what the Lord said. And you get this sense of Phinehas having this profound and deeply felt sense of the honor and holiness of God. That here was this couple dishonoring the Lord. And Phinehas took that action and God commanded him. And Ezra, when he came back, he had to deal with a similar situation of a people who had taken off with the local nations which they were told not to and had mixed marriages and there was idolatry going on and Ezra had to deal with that in a very serious and challenging way. There was another man, another man listed in, in that genealogy that, that struck me and that's um, Hilkiah and this takes us to the time of King Josiah and Hilkiah was the high priest in the reign of King Josiah and as they were, Josiah was one of those good kings who the temple and the service of the temple had, had fallen into ruin and it was used for, for wrong purposes. And so he ordered a renovation uh, and, and a reestablishment of worship in the temple. And part of the clearing out of the clutter of the mess of the debris, they found 
Hilkiah found the book of the law of Moses. And the significance of that, it seems to me that it was the very book, the original, that had gone missing for all, however long prior to that. And as soon as Hilkiah found it, he immediately knew the significance of it. This is the law of God, the recorded, written down law of God that the people should have been familiar with, that the people should have been obedient to. And so he takes it to the king. And it, it, it prompts a tremendous revival amongst the people. And it says that they understood the need to keep, um, to keep the Passover. That was one of the big things that came out of their, the revelation of this, of the law of Moses. And it says that there was never a Passover kept in Israel since the days of Samuel. And so there was a tremendous revival because this man, Hilkiah, this high priest, when he found the book of the law of Moses, immediately recognized its vital importance. And so that kind of pedigree, that lineage and that heritage, and Ezra presumably knowing that these people were his ancestors and learning the lessons of their experience and instilling in him a similar sense of the holiness of God and the importance of the word of God, the law of Moses and the place that it needed to have in the national life of the people. And I think, I think that comes through for me uh, in, in the man Ezra and what he did. You know, I think there's, there's great encouragement to be taken from this for those who are brought up in godly homes and who have that, um, that blessing and privilege. And it is a blessing and a privilege not to be despised and, and not to be frowned upon. It has its challenges, uh, uh, of course, but to have that opportunity to be exposed to the things of the Lord from an early age is, is a tremendous blessing. And is not to be despised and is to be looked on uh, and lessons learned and example to be taken from it. And for those of us perhaps who weren't brought up in that way, but as we progress in the things of the Lord, we have the opportunity then to, to nurture that within our own families and those that we uh, get in contact with, the value of that kind of upbringing and that kind of nurturing and how that can impact future generations uh, for the good of the Lord's things. So firstly, that was his family pedigree, the impact of that, the lessons learned, the example, and, and how that sense of God's holiness and the value of, of the, the law of God was instilled in Ezra himself. And the second thing which I think is, is so impressive is, of course, his personal devotion. And it comes out particularly in verse 10, uh, as we read in Ezra chapter 7. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. There's, there's four components here, which I think are vitally important for us all. And we can learn tremendous lesson and example from. So first of all, he set his heart. He made a determination of his heart and his will. And that's where it starts, isn't it? That if we're to serve the Lord to live for the Lord, then it, it, it's a heart thing, isn't it? And the Lord touches our hearts. And Ezra made a determination in his heart. 
And we had this session with, with Ron about um, what you were doing, the feelings and everything. Was that your session where we were talking about feelings and emotions and that kind of stuff in one of the sessions at YFR? And one of the things we observed is that feelings and emotions, we can, they can run away with us and, and we can be misled just by feelings and emotions. Um, but the interesting here thing with Ezra here is that it started in his heart, but then it became a matter of his will. That he made a determination that what was he going to do? Uh, he was preparing himself. He made a determination. And his subsequent expertise and skill and knowledge of the word of the Lord in his day started in his heart and that determination. And it was to study. He made the determination and set his heart upon studying the law of the Lord. And we might say, well, that was his job. He was a scribe. Well, the determination and the setting of his heart came before, I think, uh, seems to me, came before he decided that he was going to be a scribe, that he was going to commit himself and he was going to become expert in the law of the Lord. And this, this word study means to inquire deeply into or to frequent and it, it speaks about a, a, an ongoing activity and commitment. This is not just snatching five or ten minutes read here or there, uh, as our schedules and the pressures of daily life may afford us. And there are very real challenges and difficulties that we all face at different times in our lives. But it's about a determination to deeply study the Word of God. And there's lessons and challenges there for all of us as well. And it's the, 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 frequ the, the idea of it frequenting talks about it being an habitual thing and the importance of it being habitual in our lives, not just for the sake of forming a habit that becomes meaningless, but a meaningful habit uh, whereby we get to learn more of the Lord. And then it says to practice it. So this was not just an intellectual exercise or only an intellectual exercise. Ezra set his heart to study and then to put it into effect, to live it out in his life. Whatever he learned of the purposes of God and the will of God for his own life and for those around him in the nation, his first response and responsibility was to live it out himself, to put it into practice. So that subsequently he could, you know, he wouldn't be accused of not practicing what he was preaching. And so it's about living it out. And that's the purpose for us as well in our study, in our reading and our devotion to the word of God is so that it can have an impact upon our lives to change our behavior, to correct our behavior, to open up new paths uh, that we should be walking along. And it's, it's that openness and that understanding in our minds that it's to have that impact for us as well, uh, to, to practice it and to put it into effect. James chapter 1, he's, he says the same thing, doesn't he? Different way. <clears throat> uh, but he says in uh, James chapter 1, 22, Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, 
but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does, looking intently and then being an effectual doer of the word of what you look into. Setting his heart to study the law of the Lord, to put it into practice, and then what? And then to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So Ezra had a heart for the people as well, of course. And this is something which is a challenge for all of us as well, and an opportunity for all of us. Because whatever we have learned in our study of the scriptures, whatever the Lord has impressed upon our hearts, that's something that we can share. And we can, we can bring others into the blessing of that. And we may have specific opportunities to teach, whether it's taking a ministry meeting, whether it's a seminar session at YFR, whether it's working at camp, but there are different um, specific responsibilities like that where we can teach. But it's not just related to those kind of opportunities. In, in our just regular interaction and uh, conversation and social times together, we can share things that we have learned uh, and, and the, the value and the blessing of that because the Lord will impress different things from the same scriptures uh, on different people's minds and hearts and those can come out. And so those were the things that were on Ezra's heart and the desire that then he would teach that to others so that others would come to have a, a deeper knowledge of the word of God. And that's what we read about specifically in Nehemiah chapter 8, how Nehemiah did that and the impact of that upon the people. So Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 really defines the man, his character and his call and his service for God. And the impact of it, uh, I think, is huge. And for me, Ezra is one of the greatest of the Old, Old Testament characters, Old Testament servants of God. And I suppose one of the challenges for us is, can we measure up to that as well? Would we, would we put ourselves on that kind of level with the likes of Ezra? Great man of the word of God, or a great woman of the word of God. And perhaps some of us naturally shrink back from that. We, we don't feel that we maybe have a, a, an intellect to be able to look intently into the law and to, to, to really dig into it. But I think that the greatness really comes through with the willingness of the heart and the setting of the heart to, to do that, to study, to whatever level that the Lord reveals things to us and teaches things to us. And the greatness then exists and resides in how we put that into practice in our own lives and how we pass that on to others. And there are whole degrees of that. And so I think we can be great in the service of the Lord. We can be great men and women of God uh, in the same mold, really, as Ezra, if we take a leaf out of his book in preparing our hearts to study the word of the Lord, to put it into practice in our lives, and then to teach others for their encouragement as well. Let's close in prayer.